0: Okay, so uh, this morning uh, we are continuing our series uh, on 1st Corinthians. Uh, Our plan over the next few weeks is to continue in 1st Corinthians right up until December and then we're going to start our Advent series. We'll probably do a separate series in the new year, sort of January, February time, and then we'll come back to 1st Corinthians before Easter. Um, And so this is kind of our picture, our plan uh, over the next uh, few months. Um, we're really looking at the the challenges uh, that the church at Corinth had and the ways in which they were choosing to do their own thing, to reject God in their life. And we're looking at Paul's response to these challenges and how Paul's emphasis was in the fact that grace really does change everything. Grace transforms our lives. God steps into our situations and our hearts and our minds and he brings about real change real transformation for his glory and for our good Uh, and at the heart of this grace is the the reality of what Jesus has done for each one of us Um, and so we're going to take some time this morning to really focus on the actions of God through his son Jesus. This is what we see in our passage uh, this morning. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 17 through 25. Uh, the words are going to be up on the screen. If you want a paper copy of a Bible for a sum up at the back there, um, I can give you a moment uh, to pick up one. Um, and Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. Uh, and starting in verse 17, uh, Paul says this For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom. God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word uh, this morning. Uh, This passage uh, is really describing the actions of God uh, towards each one of us. And Paul uses a number of different phrases to describe Jesus' work uh, for each one of us. He says, the gospel. He describes this work of God as the cross of Christ. He says, the word of the cross He underlines that Christ is crucified. He says Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. He's really making an important point. That it is God's action towards us through his son Jesus. Which is the reality of the gospel. And the work of God is directly connected to the cross. And all that Jesus has done for us. When we understand what God has done. We need to understand the significance of the cross. And how Jesus has stepped in. And the more and more you look at this passage, the more you'll see a tension. As Paul is describing this work of God, there is this tension that exists within this passage. And the tension is the idea that the world, society, culture is not open to the gospel. They're not receptive to the reality of what God has done uh, in their life. In Paul's day, as we see in this passage, the wisdom of humanity, the wisdom of the world, describes the gospel as as foolishness. According to mainstream opinion, it would be sheer stupidity in Paul's day to believe that Jesus dying for your sins on the cross had any earthly or eternal value or benefit. Which is interesting for us this morning because this, in many regards, is the mentality of somewhere else here in Scotland the attitude of our culture is very much the attitude of the church of the Corinthian environment that the church was in you know for those of us who are followers or who are on a journey who are trying to understand what the Christian faith is all about we can all probably recognize moments or situations where we face challenge opposition people looking at our Christian faith and thinking of it as being foolish You know, I remember, and I have shared this before, but I remember sharing with a family member um, that I was about to start Bible college a number of years ago. Um, And this family member started to laugh at me, right in front of my face, just the audacity, just to, you know, I was explaining what I was gonna do over the next four years. uh, And they responded, not like out loud laughter, but sniggering, smiling, laughing. They just saw it as being absolutely ridiculous. Why on earth would someone go to a Bible college? You know, that is the attitude of many within our society. People who choose to pursue Christ in their life, our culture and society will look at them and think of them as foolish. (coughs) Mark and I were at a meeting um, and it was all about the work of of different initiatives, including the, the conversation cafe on a Monday. And someone... When they heard about the Conversation Cafe and how it was located um, in a church, this happened this week, they pushed back on it. uh, And their opposition towards the cafe was the fact that the cafe was in Denison Baptist Church. And they said to everyone who was there, "I'm, I'm not happy about going to this cafe because I don't want these religious people forcing their opinions on me. And it just gave us an opportunity to then respond to that. And to say, well, you know, we respect all people who come along to the cafe, and we're not forcing our opinion on anyone. We're just inviting people to come to the cafe and to find a space, a safe space, where they can make friends, where they can hear other people's opinions, and they can show respect to others. But again, people just have this association with the Christian faith. The gospel. Is regarded as foolish or the gospel is regarded as a threat. I don't know if you saw the documentary a few weeks ago on BBC 2 called The Debt Saviors um, which is all about the work of Christians against poverty um, the documentary followed uh, CAP, Christians Against Poverty, it followed the, the CAP advisors and CAP coaches and it interviewed its founder John Kirkby and overall it was a pretty positive account of CAP Um, and all that they do, which is great because CAP really do an amazing job. Um, They contribute to the UK economy every year the sum of about 30 million pounds by helping people, bringing them out of debt, but they also give people opportunity to receive prayer. They pray for people, they share the gospel with people. And alongside all of this, they invite people to a local church. So CAP operates through local church expressions. And it got a bit of a backlash from some in the media. There were a few articles from sources with secular agendas. People were not happy that it was Christians who were against poverty. You know, they were quite happy with this idea of being opposed to poverty, but when it came to the fact that Christians were against poverty and Christians were praying for people, Christians were inviting people to come along to church then they weren't happy about that. They weren't willing to, to solve this problem of poverty themselves. But they were quite happy to express anger and discontent at the fact that Christians were against poverty. You know, the reason that we in our society and our culture receive pushback because of our faith is the same reason that the church in Corinth received pushback from their society. And it's encapsulated in what Paul writes in the first part of Verse 18. For the word of the cross is foolishness. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. It really is the world versus Jesus. And Jesus said as much in John 15, uh, verses 18 to 19. And it should be up on the screen. Jesus said, If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world... But I have chosen you out of it. The world hates you. That's the reality of our lives. If we choose to be a follower of Jesus, then expect opposition, expect hatred, expect antagonism. The world is orchestrated and organised in such a way that it's opposed to Christians and to the Christian faith. And this is why so many of us are scared to share our faith. You know, We, we kind of know this. We know that society is against Christians in different ways. And we're scared to then say to people, I'm a Christian. Or we're scared to share of what Jesus has done in our life. Because we don't want to experience rejection. We fear man more than we fear God in our life. But God is not calling us this morning to focus on the world. He's calling us to focus on Him. That's what We looked at last week in our passage in Hebrews 12. Fix your eyes upon Jesus and everything else will make sense. And you'll find amazing opportunities to share your faith to those who are lost. And this is what Paul is trying to do through our passage. He's wanting people to see, yes, it's very much about the world versus Jesus. But take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. Jesus has already won. He is the one who we need to put our trust in today. Not tomorrow, but today. So Paul opens our passage in verse 17 with these words. And what we're going to do is just journey through this passage and just see just this, what's really at the heart of this passage, which is the world versus Jesus and how it is that we can respond to this. So in verse 17, Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptise, but to preach the gospel, Not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. So, as we look at this verse, Paul's aim is not how many people he could get baptised. No, Paul's aim, his goal, his focus was the preaching of God's word. How faithful he was being to the preaching of the word of God. And it's re- really important for us to think about this because it helps us to see that at Denison Baptist Church it's not about a numbers game. It's not about how many people we get baptised or even how many people come along on a Sunday, how many people come to faith. It's, in its essence it's about how faithful we are being to God's word. All of these things are important in terms of people coming along on a Sunday, people being saved people getting baptised. That is really important. But the most important thing is how faithful we are to the word of God. Because I could be standing up here and preaching anything. And people could respond. But what are they responding to? Are they responding to the gospel? Or are they responding to some counterfeit of the gospel? And we see the essence of the gospel in this verse. Paul underlines here that the gospel and the cross go together. Paul is saying here that the gospel is powerful when the cross is preached faithfully. If we want to understand what the gospel is all about, then we need to understand what the cross is all about. Charles Hodge said this about verse 17 and what Paul was getting at here. He said, Whatever obscures the cross deprives the gospel of its power. Whatever obscures the cross deprives the gospel of its power. And we could equally say the reverse of that. Whatever illuminates the cross releases the gospel in its power. When we think of of preach, Paul speaks here of, of preaching the gospel. We often think of a kind of Billy Graham type figure. You know, one person speaking to a multitude of people. You know, one person speaking to many and many people responding. But preaching in the New Testament can mean a multitude. It can be one. We see this with Peter um, in the early early church. Peter preached to thousands. But it can also refer to one individual. So one person speaking to one individual. And we say this because the same word that Paul uses here in 1 Corinthians is the same word that Luke uses to describe Philip declaring the good news to the Ethiopian eunuch. We read of this in Acts chapter 8 in verse 35, um, and it should be up on the screen uh, as well, Uh, in Acts 8, uh, 35, in fact, it's not up on the screen, sorry man. Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. So just as Peter preached to many, Philip preached to this Ethiopian man, one-on-one. So preaching is really just sharing, sharing the gospel with our people. And Philip did this and we all have an opportunity to do this in our lives. So how do we do this? How do we start sharing the gospel with others? If we carry this good news in our hearts, then God has given us a great responsibility to share this with those who are lost. Well, you will not share the gospel unless you are full of God's Spirit in your life. In Acts 1.8, Jesus says these words to the disciples. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will. So it's a promise. You will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. There's a deep connection between the work of His Spirit in our lives. The fullness of the Spirit that we carry. And the opportunity we have to share, to declare the truth of what God has done in our life. I can testify to this in my own life. When I have seasons and days and weeks where I'm experiencing the fullness of God's Spirit in my life, God opens doors. It's incredible just the, the conversations I'm able to have. I can think of a few weeks back and just the, the quality time I had with Jesus in McDonald's. Sometimes I go and do my quiet time at McDonald's at like 7 in the morning. And it was just a really precious time. I could really sense God ministering to me. Removing any baggage. Filling me with his spirit. As I spent time in his word. And as I spent time in prayer. And then just incredible opportunities. In my day. I went to a bank. And I was just able to to chat. To people working in the bank. Of what I did. Of what God had done in my life. It's just a promise. If we are. Connected to God through the work of His Spirit. If we are full of the Holy Spirit, then God will give us opportunity to then preach. And by preaching, I don't mean you standing on a box and shouting at people, I mean sharing, sharing the testimony of what God has done in your life. From that place of being strengthened in the Lord, you will share. You'll have the boldness and the confidence to share. And this is why our time in the Word and in prayer every single day is so important. Because you're not going to do it running and empty. You know, if you don't eat food for a day, you're going to be physically weak. If you don't spend time in God's Word and in prayer, you will be spiritually weak. So I recognise we've spent a long time in that verse. But it really does set the backdrop for us. And my encouragement to you is to pray and to read God's word every day and to plan when it is that you're going to do that. Plan when you're going to pray. Pick out a time in your day and protect that time. So Paul goes on to describe how it is that the world responds to this message of the gospel that is preached. Uh, We read in verse 18 uh, of our passage, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. So for some, the cross is absolute foolishness, and for others, the cross is power. This is why preaching, this is why sharing is so important, because it's a great clarifier and divider. People have to make a decision based on what we've said. If you share of what God has done in your life, and you offer that to someone else, they have to make a decision. Is this foolish or is this power? In verse 19, eh, Paul is making the point here that out of these two stances, foolish or power, God is picking sides. He is not with those who reject him, those who hold to worldly wisdom and who believe that the cross is foolish. Paul writes, speaking of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. So if we choose to follow this path of the gospel being foolish, then we are rejecting God in our life. And to reject God in your life is to make yourself an enemy of God. And in verse 20, Paul highlights three groups who symbolise this opposition to God. We read, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? So among the Jews, as we look at this verse, there were three classes of learned men. The teacher, the wise, the debater. However, this is a challenge to both Jews and to Greeks everywhere. Paul is saying you cannot argue against the cross of Christ. You either accept it and believe it's the power of God or you reject it and believe it's foolish. And Paul then highlights the futility of pursuing earthly wisdom as a means of finding purpose in life. So we read uh, in verse 21 uh, of our passage, For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom. God was pleased to to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. So Paul's point in verse 21 is that people come to a dead end when they choose to put wisdom, earthly wisdom at the very centre. People's lives aren't changed by humanity. People's lives are changed by the reality of the gospel. We need someone from the outside to step in and to change our circumstances. We can't fix this ourselves. We can't look to the world to help us find all our problems resolved. We need... This external source. And that external source is Jesus himself. This is the truth of the gospel. If we choose to believe in Jesus, then he promises to give his life. The reality is that every single one of us has chosen to reject God in our lives. We've all experienced a moment where we've turned our back on God and chosen to go our own way, to do our own thing. And God has responded to that, not by rejecting us. God has responded by showing his love, by sending his son, Jesus. And Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He took all of our sin, all the sins that we have committed, all the sins that have been committed against us, and he died for those sins. And this opened the door for us to have life, and to have life in all its fullness. Jesus died on the cross, And then he rose three days later from the dead. And so we have an opportunity to turn from our sin. To turn to Jesus. To experience forgiveness. And this church is evidence of what happens when people do that. You know many of us here this morning can testify to the difference that Jesus has made to us in our lives. We can testify to the power of the gospel in our life. We can see a very clear before and after. At one point in our life, we chose to do our own thing. And then Jesus stepped in and we experienced this transformation. We experienced joy in our life because we had relationship with him. We experienced peace. There was no longer this hostility between us and God. Because we put our faith and our trust in Jesus and in his finished work in the cross. We experienced the fullness of God's spirit as we are open and willing to receive that in our life. So I just want to invite you this morning, if you've not done that, if you've not made a decision to put your faith and put your trust in Jesus, then do that today. Put your faith in him, believe in Jesus and believe that he has his very best for you. You know, it would be wrong of me to share all this and not to give you opportunity to do that And I would encourage you to do that at the end of the service, to respond in faith. God really is in the business of transforming people's lives. He really can change people. Many of us can testify to this. We know the transformation that God has done in our life. During the week, uh, Kayla, police and myself had the privilege uh, of listening uh, to a testimony um, of the difference That Jesus has made to a person's life. Uh, And it was a testimony of someone who comes to an English class. Uh, They shared with us the transformation that they had experienced. When someone preached, when someone shared the gospel with them one on one. They shared that once they had received Jesus in their life. God started to answer prayers. God started to step in and help them in, in different situations and God had given them a real joy in their heart. And this person does not have a freedom to be open about their faith in their particular context. So within their culture, within their religion, within their family, they're not able to declare to be open about their faith. They are in many regards a persecuted believer here in the city of Glasgow. But they count it as being absolutely worth it. The challenge and the hardship of being a Christian in their context is of great value to them because God loves them. God sees them as being greatly valuable. God has made a real difference in their life. And so they persevere. In the midst of that challenge, in the midst of that hardship, they trust that God is going to do a work in their family's life. God really has transformed this person's life. And they are, we are, Praying for those who are persecuting them. We're praying that they also might come to faith. You know, God really does make a difference in people's lives. And I hope we see this based on what Paul writes in verse 21. God was pleased to save, to transform those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. Paul is reiterating again and again here that at the heart of the gospel is the cross and preaching, which we're redefining as sharing the gospel is a means from which people will hear the gospel in their life. So when we think of the gospel, we need to think of the cross and we are the means from which the gospel is shared with our people. Paul continues to make this point in verses 22 through to 23 and it will be up on the screen. Paul says, For the Jews ask for signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness to the Gentiles. Now the Jews in Jesus' day would regularly ask for signs, and we actually see this in the New Testament. There are a number of different examples when the Jews challenged Jesus and they asked for a particular sign. So in Matthew twelve, thirty eight, we read Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. So this is a Pharisees speaking to Jesus. We want to see a sign from you. Again in Mark 8, 11, we read of this account. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, demanding of him a sign from heaven to test him. John records in John chapter 6, 30. The Pharisees saying, What sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you? They asked. What are you going to perform? You see, for the Jews, Jesus... Wasn't all powerful. Jesus was a pet. They wanted Jesus to perform for them. They were expecting this Messiah. To be victorious. To be this all conquering king. Who would defeat the Romans. And yet Jesus wasn't willing to do this. Jesus was willing to seek and save those. Who are spiritually hungry and thirsty. Those who are lost. And Paul also says in verse 22. The Greeks wanted To experience uh, God in our life. And they were seeking wisdom. They wanted the cross to be explained logically and philosophically. And Paul says that the gospel provided them with nothing of what they were looking for. They couldn't understand, the Greeks, how a defeat could ever be a good thing. Jesus, in many regards, was defeated for a moment. And yet he rose victorious. The Greeks couldn't understand us. They couldn't comprehend that Jesus' death on the cross could be a good thing. The message that God loves you, that God sent his son Jesus to die for you, was the worst possible news for these people. It kind of reminds us of our culture. This idea that Jesus has died for your sins is the worst possible news for many within our society. It was a stumbling block to the Jews. It was foolish to the Gentiles. But there were some within that society, Jews and Greeks, who chose to believe. And this is what we see in the next few verses. In verses 24 to 25, we read these words from Paul, which really close this section for us. Paul says, Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. So Paul speaks here of those who are called. Every person has a calling upon their life and there are two aspects of this call. One is external by the word of God. People are called to the gospel by other people, believers, sharing of what God has done and the difference that God can make in their life. And the other is internal. It is through the Spirit of God. So there are two aspects to this call that Paul speaks of. The external call by the Word of God and the internal call by the Spirit of God. So this is why sharing the Gospel is so important because if we don't share the Gospel then people will not experience this internal call within their life. God has given us a really important role to play Our role is to declare the truth of God, that they might hear. And God's role is to convict them in their hearts. It's very simple for us this morning. And it's also very powerful. You know, we often think of situations, people in our lives, and oftentimes they seem like the last person who's going to come to faith. And so we choose not to share the gospel. And yet it's not us who's going to change that person. It's God. You know, God is calling us simply just to share and to pray and ask that God would do something. We're not called to to change that person. We're just called to share and to trust that God's gonna deal with it. God's gonna work in that person's life. God is calling us to be faithful. He's not calling us to be fruitful. It is God who produces the fruit in our lives. And I honestly believe that when we are faithful, God will make us fruitful. So I hope we're challenged by this. I hope we see the massive, huge responsibility of sharing the gospel. And that we don't carry too much weight around this responsibility. We don't think to ourselves, okay, I need to change. I need to spiritually change this person. No, I just need to trust that God's going to use what I say to speak into this person's life and that this person might come to faith. Paul in verse 25, essentially says there's only one side that we should be on when it comes to the world in Jesus, and that is Jesus' side. He is infinitely more powerful than any human being, any human achievement, <coughs> any human philosophy. And so in verse 25, Paul's point here is that the foolishness and weakness of God as perceived by the world, so God is not foolish, God is not weak, that the perception of the world is that God is foolish and weak. This is wiser and stronger than the wisdom and strength of man. So we see this in verse 25. And Paul, again, is just underlining this point, the main point of this morning. It really is the world versus Jesus. The world regards the gospel as utter foolishness. And the gospel when it shines on the philosophy of the world, shows it to be truly foolish. And Paul says here, he says throughout this passage, that there really is only one winner. God is going to be victorious. And so whose side are we going to be on? Are we going to be on the side of the world or on the side of Jesus? And in the midst of all this, there is hope. There is hope that God is going to save people. God is going to transform people. He does that when we follow the Great Commission, when we share of what God has done, when we share of what God has done in our lives and we share of what God can do in the lives of those who we are engaging with. So given that you have a role to play, how are you going to share? How are you going to talk to people about Jesus? Well, let me share, let me suggest three things that you have to do that we see reflected within Scripture, within this passage, within the testimony of those who have been effective and faithful in their call. So, we'll see up on the screen. Three things that you can do in response to this call to share. Very simple for us this morning, but really important. The first one is pray. Pray that God gives you opportunity to share. Pray that God gives you a desire to share with other people. Let's be honest, if we are honest this morning, at times we do not have a desire to share with other people the good news of Jesus. Pray that God gives you the courage to share. Pray that God gives you a heart for the people that you encounter. You know, if someone is lost in their sin, do we really have a love for them? And, and that love is such that we want to share the good news. Pray that God gives you the power to speak something highly relevant into their life. Pray that God would give you a prophetic gift to speak something that is relevant and it brings about change within their life. So, number one, pray. Let me encourage you to pray, to ask that God would give you boldness, and to ask that God would lead you to the right people. Number two, love. Don't just pretend to love people. You know, we can so easily as Christians play this little nice game. You know, and and just pretend to be nice to people. Let love be genuine, Paul says. Really love them. Kindness is such a great evangelistic gift. Generosity is so powerful. If you do something that is above and beyond what anyone else is expecting, then that'll people will stop in their tracks and they'll ask, you know, why why did you do this? Then you can share, well, I've did this I've showed this act of kindness. I've chosen to be generous to you in this moment because God has been kind to me. God has been generous to me. Demonstrate what God has done for you through practical acts that go above and beyond what is expected. So love people, let love be genuine. Don't let it be superficial or false. And number three, talk to people. Ask people questions and listen to what people say. Ask questions about themselves. What they believe. What do you think about the meaning of life? And really listen to what it is that they say. God will lead the conversation. If you ask someone what their opinion is about faith or about a particular issue, then they're bound to ask you the same question. What do you believe about that? And God will give you a great opportunity to then say, well, I have a faith in Jesus. And because I have a faith in Jesus, I believe this or I believe that so simple. We so often complicate it and think, you know, I need to have 10 points. I'm gonna share these 10 points in the space of 30 seconds to some random person that I meet in the street. And it's not like that at all. God's calling us just to be natural, to be ourselves, to use our personality, and to find opportunity to be used by God. Ultimately, it comes down to what you're passionate about. You know, if you're passionate about football You're going to talk about football. If you're passionate about travel, you'll talk about travel. If you're passionate about food, you will talk about food. And if you're passionate about Jesus, you will talk about Jesus. If you're not talking about Jesus, then what does that tell you about your passion level towards him? As we do this, as we share our faith, may we see people coming to a living faith in Jesus. May we be obedient to the call and may God through his spirit work in our lives and bring about transformation. So I'm going to give us just a moment to respond in a couple of ways. As we sing, we can come to the table and we can reflect on this amazing truth of the gospel that Jesus has died for our sins, that his body was broken for each one of us, that his blood was shed for us. And so as we sing, come to the table and give God thanks for all he has done. But also, as we are singing, as we take a moment to pray, maybe think of one or two or three people in your life who you know are completely lost, who don't know Jesus. And pray and ask God that you would give, you'd be given opportunity to share your faith with them. Ask that you would, be, you would carry a deep love for that person. And then talk to them. Engage with them. Ask them questions and listen to what they say. And watch how God uses that conversation. Again, God is not calling us to change people. God is calling us to share the gospel. It is God who does the changing. Let's pray. Let's be thinking of maybe one or two or three people in our lives. And after we've prayed together as a family, we're going to respond by singing and by coming to the table if we have faith in Christ. Lord, we, we really do love you and we, we love just how simple the, the message of the gospel is and yet how powerful it is. Lord, I do thank you for many people here today who, who know you and who love you. And Lord, I thank you that you're, you're willing through the work of your spirit to walk with us in this. Lord, I thank you for your challenge, the challenge of your word, the responsibility you give us to share the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would give us greater boldness, greater courage, give us a deep love for people. Lord, I recognise that for many of us this morning, you need to do a work in our hearts. You need to convict us of things that we are more passionate about in our life. And Lord, as we are convicted of that, may we turn from that sin. That's what it is, Lord. It is sin we confess that. And may we turn to you. May we believe that you are of greater value of deeper satisfaction to us than anything that this world can offer. And Lord, help us to be very intentional this week about sharing the gospel with those that are lost through these ways of praying, of loving, of asking and listening. Lord, would you help us? Would you remind us of people in our lives who are lost? And would you do an incredible work in their life? We ask this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.